Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 53 of the Tech Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is I Never Got My Fun 20s, an interview with Amy Rogala. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Amy Rogala. Amy Rogala is a 29-year-old woman from Mackinac City, Michigan. Amy grew up in the rural northern lower peninsula of Michigan on her family-owned campground. She had an active childhood and became an outdoor enthusiast. Her activities included hiking, biking, kayaking, and horseback riding. After graduating from high school, Amy attended massage school in Houghton, Hancock, Michigan. Amy learned that the community that hosted her massage school had become known as Active Country for Lyme Disease. Shortly after graduation, Amy suffered flu symptoms that she wrote off as allergies. The flu symptoms were followed by daily headaches, loss of balance, seizures, and suicidal ideations. As Amy's symptoms progressed, she sought treatment from various doctors, including her family doctor that had treated her since birth. She took a trip on the Dr. Merry-Go-Round, resulting in several misdiagnoses, including bipolar disorder and multiple sclerosis. After being failed by the traditional medical community, Amy decided to visit a holistic doctor as a last resort. At that time, she knew if she didn't find help, she wasn't going to live another two years. Her holistic doctor diagnosed her with Lyme disease and put her on a specially designed protocol for a year after which Amy achieved remission. Amy still has days where she doesn't feel 100%, but she recently graduated from Purdue University with a degree in nutrition. She works between 12 and 30 hours per week and is serving as a caregiver for a family in the throes of a battle with cancer. Amy's experience with Lyme disease resulted in her making a vow to help others avoid suffering from the disease. She has begun reaching out to members of the Lyme community through social media platforms, including Instagram. Hey, Amy Rogal, and welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So, Amy, we'd like to begin by asking our guests about their background, because what we found from our past podcast guests is that folks have one life before they were bitten by a tick and a different life after they were bitten by a tick. So let's talk about your background first and your pre-tick bite life. Where, where do you live, Amy? I live in the northern lower peninsula of Michigan, in Mackinac City. And where did you grow up? In, in Mackinac City. And uh, where did you go to school? For a while it was Mackinac City, but I, I avoided that from bullying. I ended up going to Sheboygan. So I graduated from Sheboygan. And did you attend college? Yes, online only. And where, where did you attend college? First it was uh, University of Phoenix for my bachelor's, and then I finished my nutritional sciences degree at uh, Purdue University Global. Are you currently working? Yes. And what kind of work do you do? I do landscaping. I mow grass. I run errands, operate heavy equipment for my family's business. We have a campground. And because tick diseases are family diseases, we like to find out a little bit about your relationship status. So are you currently in a relationship? Um, I don't know. Not yet. I'm currently in a relationship, but I'm working on something, I, I think. And do you believe that your tick disease challenges have caused you to suffer any relationship challenges? Yeah. Yeah. Just not wanting to go out because you're tired at night, you know, after work. It's like, I don't want to go out. Amy, can you tell us a little bit about what your goals were before you started to suffer the symptoms of your tick disease? Oh, this is funny. I always wanted to, to find a, a guy, get married, have kids buy a house and travel. I wanted to travel, lots of traveling. I've never been able to travel because of Lyme. Can you tell us when you began to exhibit the symptoms of a tick disease? It was like, 
I'm I don't I don't even know when I got bit, but I'm pretty sure it was so ironic. I've grown up in a campground. The one time I go camping was for massage school graduation and I camped out in a field and then literally six months later in October I started to have flu like symptoms going down to Kentucky on a trip and I was I thought it was just allergies. So it started as allergies. So it was that typical flu like symptoms, but I didn't see it as that. So you, just from your answer, I could tell that you don't recall having found a tick biting you prior to that symptomology. Nope. Do you recall ever having been bitten by a tick during the course of your pre-tick disease life? Never. What did you know about ticks prior to beginning your tick disease journey? Honestly, that you'd find them on dogs. <laughs> so other than, other than knowing that ticks were a challenge for dogs and that they had to be removed from dogs. You knew nothing else about ticks? No. And, and Lyme disease wasn't ever talked about in my area. It was never a problem. But I, I don't think I got bit in my, my hometown, my area, my, my county. I'm pretty sure where I got bit was massage school graduation. It's Houghton-Hancock area of Michigan. It's, it's prime tick country in the Upper Peninsula. And you received no tick education either in school or as part of your family's owning and running a campground? No. The only, the only tick education I had was that every year we took the dogs to the vet, they got their heartworm, flea, and tick preventative. Did you know anything about Lyme disease prior to you beginning to show your, your tick disease symptoms? No. How did your tick disease symptoms begin after your flu-like symptoms? They started more emotional, like suicidal thoughts. I became very suicidal and depressed, and I had daily headaches for years, and then the migrating joint pain, and after about a few years, I started to lose my balance and have motor skills disappear. How old were you, Amy, when you began to show the symptoms of your tick disease? 20 years old, and I, I was getting to the point where I was just desperate, and I went to a holistic, and she said, oh, you have Lyme disease. And I, I was like, what is that? On the way home, I ended up Googling it. And I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. I don't want to have this. Oh my God, it's so terrible. So eventually I went to my family doctor and he looked at me he's like, well, there's no such thing as Lyme disease, but we'll run some labs anyway. And he ran the labs. They came back as normal. I didn't have Lyme disease according to him, but he's like, but you do have some Epstein-Barr virus. Now, before your diagnosis, I want, and by the way, how old were you when you did get diagnosed with your tick disease? 25. So there's approximately a five-year window between your first symptoms and your diagnosis? Yeah. How did your life change socially between the time that you first started showing symptoms and your diagnosis? Honestly, I, I didn't really have a social life. I didn't, I didn't have the desire to go out. You know, I was I don't know if it stemmed from being bullied as a, a teenager and just being afraid to reach out and meet new people or, or just the fact that I worked for a family business and at night I'm just, I'm tired, you know. When you were starting to get sick, what kinds of concerns did you have about your future? At one point I had thrown out and burned my dreams in my bucket list because I felt that I wasn't going to live long enough to even see them. Can you talk to us about the promises that you made to yourself that you were concerned that you weren't going to be able to keep when you went through that window of sickness between 20 and 25? Well, I think it really started after I, I did one half marathon. I don't know how I did it when I was sick. It was like in the middle of that five years. 
and I trained and ran a half marathon on Mackinac Island and completed it. And then after that, fatigue really set in and the Epstein bar really came and attacked me. And I just, you know, like I didn't exercise anymore and I didn't take my dog out anymore. I just started to, to not do the things that I loved. Amy, I want to back up to the point when you first got sick back in 2010. So you had these flu-like symptoms and you went away for a trip and then you came back and you started to have some additional symptoms like suicidal thoughts, really, really bad headaches and balance issues. Did you go to the doctor right away? Yeah. Even with my mom being sick when I was a teenager in an accident that she had, she's had like 37 surgeries total. And even through that, I was a happy-go-lucky, you know, girl. And then all of a sudden I become super depressed and suicidal and my parents were going with me to the doctor appointment and they're like, run some tests. And it was at that point, like the one day he's like, come in and review the results. And he, he looked at me, he's like, listen, you're a pretty girl. You come from a good family. Are you just not getting enough attention at home? And it was at that point, like I, I didn't know. I actually feel really bad that I believed that it was something all in my head. So I've been to counselors and psychologists and I've tried what, pharmaceutical drugs for antidepressants and antipsychotics. I had one counselor say, you know, I think you're bipolar and all this crazy stuff. And my parents were just, they just never believed it. Was that taken into consideration by all of your doctors at that point to say, hey, look, this child never had any issues, but yet out of nowhere here now she's 20, she's having these new symptoms that also have physical symptoms that go along with them? No, I don't think they did. I think they were contributing it to the stressful family. But because I was raised in a family with strong faith, I mean, you know, we knew that life isn't easy and you go through these trials and there should be, there's a reason, I don't know if there's a reason that everything happens, but everything that happens today is preparing you for tomorrow. Do you think that your doctor is dismissing this to be a mental health problem, prolonged your diagnosis and ultimately had an impact on the severity of your illness? Yes. At what point did you realize that, it sounds like you did accept that it potentially could be a mental health issue in the beginning, but then there was a point where you realized, hey, this is not the reason. I need to figure out what's really wrong with me. When did that pivot yeah. occur? And what doctors did you start seeing at that point? I started to lose my balance. I, at first, I would go to tie my shoe, just bend over and tie a shoe, and I would fall right over. I, I'd fall down a lot. I'd sprain ankles. I'd trip. I thought I was really klutzy, but then I was like, this is, this is something else. And I, I started to gain weight, and I couldn't lose weight no matter what I did. How many doctors did you see in total before you got your Lyme diagnosis? Seven total. Two family medicine like MDs, one psychologist, a therapist, two counselors, and then my, my holistic included, who told me the Lyme disease when I was like 23. When your Lyme disease potential diagnosis got thrown out when you were 23, a couple of years before your ultimate diagnosis that was taken much more seriously, did you believe that there was something to it, but then you say, hey, the doctor must know best. He's a traditional MD, so I want to listen to the doctor? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's the way I was raised. And I was like, I gotta, I'm going to trust him, you know, trust him with my life. And, and now I, I, you can't really hold regrets in life, but I look back and go, man, I was so naive. I mean, this was a five-year period of having severe symptoms, both psychological and physical, all resulting from the Lyme disease. Was your faith an important role in getting through this period without really having a breakdown? Yes. I mean, in, in, even with, with faith, I just, at some point, it's like, I just wanted the pain to end, you know, I just like, couldn't take the suffering anymore. 
but I, I always wanted to believe that, that something good would, something good, something good coming around the corner. Something, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. So I'd like to understand the end point of your five-year period before you got diagnosed. So what doctor did you find that ultimately diagnosed you? And what was that experience like when you realized that I really have Lyme disease? Yeah, I went to my holistic one last time. I was going to completely give up. Like it was at the point where I was like, I wanted to literally end everything. And so she was my, my last resort. And I went to her and her machine, the electrotransdermal was, was reading. It wasn't, she's like, I don't know what it is, but there's something attacking your immune system. And she said, I'm going to send you to this primary care physician. She will run some tests that are a little out there that some doctors won't run, but you know, she, she'll do this. So I was like, all right, let's schedule it. So I, told the, the clinic like what my symptoms were I needed to get in this is what I needed done they squeaked me in a little bit faster because I was about to lose my health insurance in Michigan and she ran these tests and the two that came back is red flags one was called a C4A basically complement proteins it's these antibodies your, your body has to fight infection you always have a certain amount and normal is about a thousand and my labs came back as 15,344 so extremely elevated and then the second test that came back was my liver enzymes. I was 25 with the liver of a 45, 48-year-old alcoholic. I was on the verge of liver failure. You mentioned that you did something called an electrotransdermal assessment. And ultimately, this is really a means to properly diagnose people with tick diseases like Lyme disease and other diseases that don't really have great diagnostic tests, right? Right. My holistic says that it's actually, it's used more commonly in Europe by doctors there. They're getting into it. It's, it's just here in America, it's still like taboo and just, oh, don't, it's like quack stuff. Since most doctors just don't think Lyme, did you get misdiagnosed with anything before this Lyme diagnosis, other than you mentioned that they said potentially depression and anxiety? Yeah, my, my primary care, I started to develop, like I said, the, the off balance and the coordinates, I started to lose my ability to walk and talk. And at that point, my doctor was like, oh, you have MS. And he wanted to run the MRI. And I was, my insides were screaming at me. They're like, don't do it. Don't do it. So I can't, I set up the MRI and I canceled it. And I walked away from that till eventually got to the point where I went to my holistic. And I, I later met someone local who went to the same holistic, had Lyme disease, had the same treatment, except she ended up getting diagnosed with MS. And she's like, it's permanently on my health records. So any symptoms that further develop, they contribute it back to MS. And now that you're with your holistic doctor, what was your viewpoint on the duration of time that you were sick? So you were sick for five years. Do you believe that not only did you have to now kill the bacteria, but also recover from the damage of the bacteria? I think after, when I hit remission, according to my holistic, she, she actually said, you know, you've beaten Lyme disease faster than anyone I have ever treated. <laughs> and I, I think it was like a good year, two years that I did not work at all. I just couldn't do it. And I think this, I took one year to treat Lyme disease and one year of just full-on recovery where I just had no energy. And so you went on, you, you were treated for one year, and then you had, a, after treatment, you had a one-year period of just letting your body recover, it sounds like. Yep. What treatment did your holistic doctor give you to attack this disease? 
my ballistic ended up developing her own treatment. It was like a tonic. You basically would take droppers and you could put them in a water bottle, but I would directly put them in my tongue. And she used herbs like oregano, cat's claw, cloves, wormwood, teasel, spearmint, golden seal, rosemary, and devil's claw. And she ended up, she came, she came to the conclusion that these were the good, like anti-parasitic, antiviral, beating the biofilm and she used it on her own Lyme disease she had a strain that was starting to eat the cartilage out of her joint in naturopathic medicine like this these tinctures i think as they're called is, are really just these bottles dropper bottles that have a combination of various herbs that are able to kill the Lyme bacteria and allow your body to recover and they're customized to each patient is that how your doctor works no she sometimes will do some custom and she'll do tinctures based on your saliva, but her Lyme disease, she has a stealth, she calls it stealth one and stealth two. And it depends on like the Lyme that she's treating, but it's pretty much the same. And then with me, she would add stuff like, I need you to take this immune system booster vitamin for this you know, amount of time and we'll see you in six weeks. And she goes, oh, that's, that's doing good. Let's try this, you know, right here. And I had issues with like some of my co-infections, like mycoplasma and it was in my lungs and it would just be like the worst asthma I've ever had, but nothing would help. So she would be like, all right, we need to do this for the mycoplasma. Or I started to get weird rashes and stuff. And she's like, Oh, I think that's Babesia. So let's, let's go at it from this, with this herb for Babesia. So it was like, whatever worked at the time, she would check me every six weeks. So the approach is more of this is a baseline treatment that I'm going to give you for Lyme disease. And based on your reaction, I'm going to then provide you with some additional supplementations to help with some of the other symptoms that you're going to be having while on this treatment. Yeah. Throughout this one year that you were on these treatments, did you have any Herx reactions? Oh, God, yes. I started to develop seizures and I didn't know it because... I mostly would just lay in bed all day. The most I could get up was go to the bathroom, let the dog out, eat something, drink water, and then just back in bed, you know, it was like just mostly in bed. And um, my mom came in on me one day and she was like, you were having a seizure. And it, it, she said, I was so scared. I was going to call an ambulance. I wanted to call 911. But she's like, I knew that medically the doctors in the ER, they just wouldn't be able to do anything. And for me, I had this weird, with my Lyme disease strain, for some reason, it would block prescription pain drugs or prescription anything. And so even if I did go in, who's to say that, you know, anti-seizure medications would have even helped me. Now, did you take anything for the seizures and other symptoms you were getting from these heart reactions that you had? Yeah, I'm big into to shooting and gun sports and hunting where I live. And I ended up packing up all my guns one day and I handed them to my mother in tears. I said, Mom, I don't trust myself. I want the pain. I want this to end. And at that point, my mom has always struggled with the illness that she had as a child. She had cancer when I was 15 in an accident. And so she did medical marijuana for pain. And she looked at me and she's like, here, smoke this. And so I started doing THC and CBD and that ended up controlling my seizures. It, so it was like a, a manageable full body tremor. At that point, I looked like I had Parkinson's. Do you recall what type of CBD you used? I think it was Green Roads. And did you do any other forms of detox while you were taking this hardcore herbal therapy to help your body eliminate the toxins from the die off of the bacteria? 
Yes, we have a, here in northern Michigan, it gets pretty dead in the winter. There's not a whole lot to do. And a local hotel will let us buy a pass and we can go in there, use the exercise room, the pool, a hot tub, and they have a sauna. And we started to notice, my mom did, she started to notice that the sauna would reduce the amount of herxing symptoms that I had. And I would have really good days after that the detox. So I would go to the sauna about three, three to four times a week. And during the summer, we run our own business campground. And so everyone, it's like all hands on deck and no one could take me to the sauna because at one point with the seizures, I stopped driving. I felt that I wasn't you know, safe enough to be on the roads. So I had no one to take me to the sauna. And this one day, one of our employees was like, hey, I'm at an auction. There's a sauna here. And I immediately prayed. I said, dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity. And if, it, if it's not meant to be, I understand that something better is going to come along. And later that day, the employee's wife came up to me. She's like, did you guys hear? You bought the sauna. And I looked at my, I went, how much? And my mom said, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we get our daughter back. And she smiled and she said, no one bid on it. You guys got the sauna for $100. Throughout this one year where you were on the hardcore herbs and you were doing things like the sauna and CBD and THC to help alleviate the symptoms from the herxing, were you really able to work at all or were you, were you totally homebound at that point? Nope, I wasn't able to work at all. I was completely homebound. My, I felt I had struggled with the feelings of, of guilt for not being able to work. It was really hard because I was raised in the family business. I've been bundling firewood since I was seven, lemonade stands. And when I could legally, as soon as I could legally work, I was, you know, on the payroll. And it was just so hard for me to not work. And and normally here in our house to function, if you're not working, you're going to cook, you're going to clean, you're going to help out. And I couldn't even do that. It just was like, I felt so bad, like almost failure kind of feelings that I couldn't participate. How long were you not able to drive for from the seizures? I did it a year until my holistic said, you know, you're in remission. You look really good. The line was gone. So that's when I started driving again. After the year of treatment, you mentioned you had a year of recovery. So you had one year period of treatment and a one year period of recovery. Can you describe and give us more detail about that, about what that last year was like in your recovery period? Yeah, I threw my Lyme disease starting in like 2003 and then through recovery, I was in college the whole time. And I don't know how I did it, but I managed A's and B's and I've dean's list and president's list several times. And I've had, I've had perfect attendance. And I started to get into nutrition that year of recovery. And I started to realize that certain foods helped with recovery better than others. And it got me, it got my gears turning. And I was like, gosh, nutrition is just absolutely amazing. So what I did was I used nutrition. I avoided the dirty dozen when it comes to fruits and veggies. I bought organic fruits and veggies and meats. I cooked at home. I didn't eat out. I would push myself to take my dog or my donkey for a walk and get outside, take care of my animals. And in that little bit of, you know, my holistic was like, you need to exercise. And she's like, you'll know if it's a day you're supposed to exercise. If, if the first eight minutes you're not feeling any better, it's time to go home. And she said, but you got to push yourself a little bit just to rebuild that strength up. So it was, it was, it was quite interesting. It was very tough. I almost feel like sometimes recovery was just as tough as Lyme disease. You mentioned that you would use your dog and your donkey and go out for walks. So first of all, I think it's really cool that you have a donkey. And that's uh, your, your first guest, I believe, that has had a donkey. 
But do you believe that the animal therapy component really helped you from a recovery standpoint to be able to have your animals and to be able to have that love and be able to be with them while you're at your worst? I don't think that I would have recovered well without being forced to have to get outside and take care of my animals. That was like the one thing that got me up because like they rely on me to feed them, no one else, you know? So I, and I noticed the emotional aspect with, with therapeutic wise for animals. When I was a teenager, I had two pet goats and I would come home from school, just put my clothes backpack in the house and run down and see my goats. And I'd sit in the pasture and just cry. And these two goats would come up. The little one would sit on my lap. The other one would sit right next to me and they would stay there till I got up as I cried they knew I was hurting and my dog was the biggest help. I, I first got her when I was 20 and I started with the depression symptoms. I had a, a counselor said, you know, she, you, I think an emotional support dog would be a very good idea. So I ended up adopting a puppy that I trained. I spent like just so much time training her. She is just an amazing animal now. And, and eventually when I started to lose my ability to walk and talk, she became my physical support dog. So I was able to go out into public and, you know, I wouldn't fall over. My dog was right there. She knew when I needed help. And, and now, um, now that I'm in remission, I haven't needed her help like that. And she's been taking care of my mom who fights the stage four metastatic breast cancer. So it seems like after a two year period of being diagnosed, you had a one year period of aggressive treatment, a one year recovery period. And now it sounds like you're doing great. So how are you feeling today? Some days I feel like I'm 80% and then some days I still feel like I'm at 30. It really, it's kind of still like a roller coaster. And I, I have days where I'm doing great and I have days like, I'm like, sorry, dad, I just, I need to take today off. You know, I'm sorry, I can't work for you right now. And I still struggle with that guilt feeling, but you know, he understands. It's actually, I've met a lot of people that have gone through Lyme disease and their parents aren't as forgiving or understanding. And it just, it hurts me. Because it's like my parents just, you know, they, they get it. Can you share with us, Amy, how your Lyme disease has affected your family? It really bothered my sisters, but my mom having had cancer and surgery was my biggest supporter. My mom had to educate my dad on like Lyme disease and symptoms and why I wasn't working and stuff like that. And I, at one point, it might have been just complete frustration on his point. And I don't even know if he remembers, but he looked at me the one day and just called me a burden. And it just, that tore me up because it's like, I didn't choose this. This plan wasn't my plan, you know. Um, but my mom was the biggest supporter. And I think it was really hard for her watching me suffer. Amy, how did your Lyme disease symptoms affect people outside of your family? I honestly, I don't feel like I have many friends to this day. I, if my friends hear this, don't be offended. I, I know I have people, there's lots of people out there that care for me and they support me. And I just don't hang out with them like, like typical, like you see friends episodes on TV. I don't hang out with my friends like that. They all have their beautiful lives with their children and their families. And I, I get that. And I don't, I, when I was going through Lyme disease, all I wanted was for people to care. And I didn't feel like people really cared. I don't know. It just, I felt like people, you know, unless Lyme disease affects you, it doesn't really affect you. But I, I don't know. I just never maintained the relationships and who really wants to hang out with someone who's I'm canceling on them all the time because, you know, I'm I'm in a lot of pain today or I have a migraine or I just can't seem to get out of bed. You know, no one wants to keep maintaining a relationship with someone like that. So I just never, you know, I just kind of gave up 
not that I gave up on friendship. I don't know. Well, I think, Amy, it's really, there's a really popular phrase out there in the Lyme community that you don't get it until you get it, meaning you don't yeah. understand Lyme disease until you actually get the disease. And I think that's a very accurate way of describing the disease. Yes, I always say that I'm, um, depends on how I'm feeling. I'm either introverted or extroverted. <laughs> if I'm feeling really sick and tired, I'm pretty introverted. One of the most important things is you have to mourn your life before Lyme disease. It's the most healthiest thing you can do because it's part of your grieving process. It's normal. There will be days you're sad, you miss family functions because of fatigue, or there are days that you're angry, and this is okay. My only advice is to not dwell on the past too long. Don't let it dictate tomorrow. When setting goals for yourself, make them realistic and start small, especially when you're sick. I'm incredibly jealous of my sister that's married, has her own house, and runs two businesses. She still has the energy to come home and exercise. But some days, you know, I have to pick one of those, and that's okay. Amy, one of the consistent themes that has developed over the course of the many podcasts we've done is that folks have challenges in having romantic relationships when they have Lyme disease. Has that been a challenge for you? Oh, yes. I was dating a guy through Lyme disease. And, you know, he, he was actually, he was really a great guy because he knew I was sick. He knew I needed my space. He would come in every day after work. He was a construction carpenter. He worked 12, 16 hour days and he would still come over and hang out for a little bit and sit there, hang out with my dad or, you know, he was, he was really, really supportive about that. But it got to the point where I started to feel better and we started to have a little conflict and I'm like, you know what, I'm, I got to walk away from this and I ended the relationship. Now, Amy, one of the things that we've really enjoyed about doing this podcast is that almost every one of our guests have said that this tick bite experience has been positive in some ways, that the journey has had some positively transformational effects on their lives. Can you share with our listeners how this tick disease journey has been positive in your life? You know, with my mom's cancer right now as stage four metastatic, we don't know how long she has. Nobody knows. It could be five. It could be 15 years. And Things like cancer in, in life, like almost near-death experiences, really make you look back and ponder your mortality. So I think that there, without Lyme, I'd, I'd be taking a lot of things for granted. And how has that affected you emotionally and spiritually? You know, still living at home while I've got two younger sisters. I got one that's married and runs our part of our business and I got one that works for a bank and rents a house from my parents and you know I still fight with those feelings of inadequacy and being a failure but you know at the same time being able to live at home and now that I'm doing really good and I can take care of my mom as her primary caregiver and spend all this time with her someday I'll look back and be glad that I chose to take and tackle the hard stuff every day. Now, I mean, another type of transformation that we've seen from our past guests and from the people we consider to be the experts in the Lyme community is that they've developed a special kind of strength to protect themselves and others from tick bites. So here at Tick Bootcamp, we call those folks, those superheroes, tick hackers. And, and I want to ask you as a tick hacker, if someone you cared about called you tomorrow and said, hey, I have a tick biting me on my leg. What advice would you give them to help them to prevent themselves from getting sick? Don't take it lightly. Fight hard and give it all you've got. Be your own advocate. I feel like from, from being part of support groups and online and stuff that antibiotics are not the only way to treat Lyme disease. It is too intelligent of a bacteria to just go at it one way. 
I feel like you have to try and, and you're going to have to do that trial and error. And I know some people have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, stem cells and you, I mean, you, you find something that works, you got to go with it because Lyme disease is one of the most intelligent bacteria I've ever seen. Amy, thank you. You are a tech hacker. and We've been blessed to have you on our podcast and we're blessed to have you share so much wonderful information with us. Amy, I have one final question, the final, final question for you, which is I was super interested in your pre-interview questionnaire. You had conducted some tick experiments as a tick hacker. So can you walk us through what those tick experiments were and what you learned from them? All right. Yeah, I pulled a tick off of my dog and I was, I usually, every time I found one, I would send them into the Bay Area Lion Foundation. They would do testing. They would do free tick testing because they're trying to develop new testing for humans. And I decided one day that I was, I was very angry with Lyme disease and I thought I would take it out on this tick even though. <laughs> so I, I put it on a piece of paper and I would draw a ring of like some sort of, I did, I tried DEET and I tried several holistic natural bug repellents. And I was actually like shocked. I did a ring of DEET on this piece of paper and the tick walked through it and basically like laughed at it. Like, you think that's going to stop me? It, I was like, <gasps> I was absolutely shocked because I'm like DEET. That's what they're saying. Oh, use DEET. That's the best way to protect yourself. You know? And I was just, I was stunned. And I found the best one, but there's a brand called Bug Band. It's a spray on lotion. And then one that I've used on my dogs and horses that I use on myself because the ingredients are just they're fine it's called bug pellet p-e-l-l-e-n-t and those seem to work the best against ticks but from what i found for your yard is that the chemical versions work better and i know people like with Lyme disease and when you become health conscious you want to try and take the more natural route i feel with your body and what you put on your skin that's true but with your yard at one point do you really want to take those chances? So I use a chemical spray in my yard. It says it's good for six months, but I usually do it about twice a summer. So from your experience, chemical spraying for your yard has been most effective, but for the human, for the body protection, the recommended DEET is not as effective as some of the natural protections you can use based on your experiments that you've done. Using DEET, I would use that rather like on your clothing as like a secondary option and use on your skin direct skin contact with more than natural stuff because people forget that your skin is your largest organ i mean it takes less than 30 seconds to absorb something that touches your skin thank you for listening to the tick boot camp interview with amy rogala to our listeners we have a call to action first if you'd like to learn more about amy rogala and her tick disease journey please visit her instagram at rogala amy second if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Bite blueprint that is inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We would appreciate it if you would contact us with any suggestions you have for improvements. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our listeners, for your past comments on our podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, Instagram, and our website. We make it a point to read every single one of our reviews. Thank you for listening.